better word, is good. The time came when the ticker tape in the broker's office told a new story. It was panic. Sixteen and a half million shares of stock sold in a single day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to in, uh, Stock Dirty to Me, the number one podcast for beginner investors. I'm going to get the, the intro right one time. I'm, of course, Phil Better, the podcast mogul. With me, as always, is Tony Semensky and Lloyd J. Ross, the millionaire money mentor. How are you guys doing today? What's up, man? Good to be here. Tony, you're muted. Hold on, I'll unmute you. You're mute. Uh, you're... Tony, your mic's not connected. Stock Dirty to Me. Yeah, stock dirty to me. Um, yeah, no, you have to connect your earphones, Tony. You have to connect. <laughs> As always, Tony's having problems with his headphones, which it seems to be a common occurrence for this episode. <laughs> cool. oh. I had it on. I had it on mute like an idiot. My bad. Ah, <laughs> anyway, I was like, I could hear you fine. <laughs> All right, guys, since I'm feeling like crap and I'm glistening like, well, like I'm sweating all buckets, I'm going to jump off and let you guys run the show. So let's see how you guys can do without me. So uh, the floor. It's going to mediate, man. What if, what if Tony is all USA and I'm all China? It's going to be like <laughs> Then I'll be all Canada and stay out of it and neutral. <laughs> yeah, be neutral and shit. Both of uh, them are the biggest trading partners of Canada. I'm not messing this up. I'm going to stay away from this argument. So, uh, boys. The floor is yours. Right. What's up, Tony? I'd like to think I'd like to think I'm more like the US and you're more like Russia. So and Phil so <laughs> could be NATO. <laughs> so could be NATO. Oh man. We're in AUKUS together. We're in alliance. We're in alliance. Uh, how you doing, anyway. man? Good man. It's good to see you. Here we go. I, I'm glad you weren't the shark fatality this week. Yeah. I was thinking is- about you. I was like, oh, man, I hope that's not the only person I know in Australia. Man, someone sent me the video <laughs> this morning of that actual attack. And my dad sent it to me, and I'm like, "Is this dude fishing?" And there's this shark. Anyway, it's a long story. I don't know why it stopped it to me. He's actually calling me, but um, someone stopped it to me. He's calling me on my mobile phone. Anyway, so we're here to talk Tony, about. Tony, did stocks. you do a call? Someone did just call? called me. Tony, someone did you call us? Me. Someone just called me from Stock Daddy. Yeah, it wasn't. It can. It definitely wasn't me. Uh, hey, Tony yeah, it was Tony who called us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm going to jump you. off now. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about, what are we going to talk about today, Tones? I don't think he can hear us. Can you hear us? No, he can't. This is why he he's Can you hear us? Oh, he's frozen. All right. Um, I know we wanted to talk about the Fed uh, raising rates aggressively. I know that's something on the table today. Yeah, um, sure. Tony we'll just messaged the group. Uh, what happened? Yeah, because you called us, Tony. Um, we also wanted to talk about what else do we want to talk? I had a whole list of things. Uh, view on Facebook. I'll look up here. What do we got over here? I just watched yeah. two, hour, two hours of Charlie Munger talking about talking at the Daily Journal, some interesting things. Yes, we have the Daily Journal stuff. They had their recent meeting. Uh, we also have uh, how McDonald's have the pricing power, or stocks like McDonald's have the pricing power to combat inflation, yep. which is big. Sure. Um, and the dangers of the raising rates too aggressively. Yeah. So, okay. 
Let's go with that one first, then, shall we? Raising the, uh, the rate sure let's go well i know nothing about this so teach well, me no no i just think i know you're sick so i know that you want to talk about interest rates right so sexy. yeah you know interest rates it's interesting for people who are listening or watching interest rates are to stocks like gravity is to like objects right what's up you tony? called us tony that's what happened you called us i called in you in the group chat call, you called us I, it said i got a call from you from me so, yeah that's what it's and I was like, what is that? So I just declined it. Anyways. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Lloyd was just explaining the aggressivity of raising interest rates. Guys, I don't know. Tech Technology is killing me right now. It, <laughs> Facebook. Facebook's really killing me. I can't figure this shit out. I'm too old. If you buy stocks in Facebook. That's, that's how I'm going to do it. I just on. don't understand the business, as you can see. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. <laughs> Well, interest rates, interest rates are like uh, gravity is to objects, you know, when it comes to stocks, because when rates rise, uh, the discount rate you use to devalue cash flow assets, it actually goes up, which means the present value of the future cash flows is less, which means the business is actually valued less. And that's what's happening now is there's a big reset happening in the value of businesses based on the fact that the cost of debt is going up or going to go up, right? Like the Federal Reserve said, we're probably going to increase rates between five and eight times this year. Something that's interesting for people to know is they typically raise rates a lot faster than they drop them. So the biggest risk is the risks are if you're currently invested in overvalued stocks, be prepared to see them come back to their values based on their future cash flows. If they're not producing cash flows, prepare for those stocks to fall too. Um, so if you're holding stocks that don't produce cash flow and they're overvalued, they will fall. Simple as that. They will fall this year. Uh, and you watch when the when the Fed increases rates, they're like, oh my God, they increase rates, I'm gonna sell. And you'll see your portfolio just decimated. So the idea is to set up and rebalance your portfolio to stocks that do well in inflationary periods, which is typically stocks that actually have pricing power of their own product. So things they can increase um, price of their product without losing customers. And I think of companies like obviously McDonald's, uh, Walmart um, and Apple, for example, Apple, they could price their product to $4,000 an iPhone and people would still buy it. That's what makes that business so powerful. The fact that we cannot live without iPhones. That's 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 genius. So, yeah. Please don't I make them raise it to $4,000. I, I can't afford it. <laughs> they could probably raise it to 10000 and still sell a shit ton, truly. Because people would actually mortgage their house to buy an iPhone. That's how important the technology is. People don't realize that. That's why Warren Buffett bought it. He knows that. So it's got pricing power. I think it's really well entrenched. Apple, Google, you know, what maybe bank of like the bank, they're, they're, they're pretty solid companies, you know? So anyway, that's what's going to happen this year. So buckle up. So you're telling me that GMC, uh, you know, like GameStop and AMC are probably not the best thing to have my stocks in right now. Like my money should be out of those stocks. Well, if the Fed's going to raise rates. I think well, you want to be 50% AMC, 50% GameStop. Okay, if good. you're breaking down the percentages. You know, what, you know what's interesting, though, about G, GME and GameStop, uh, is, uh, GMC and GameStop, is that the reality is they are actually legitimate businesses. Mm -hmm. They actually do produce cash flow. They actually can be valued. <laughs> so if you take those future cash flows and you value them today, you'll find the price is not what it's currently sold for. It's the value is worth a lot less than what the price is currently being sold for. So at some point, 
the in the short term the markets are voting machines so it's like all these people are voting for gme and, uh, and gmc and GameStop. they're like oh vote vote so in the short term it's a voting machine that's why you see these massive spikes but long term it's a weighing machine so eventually the stock price has to fall back to the level of cash flow earnings it has to right and it will so you buckle up for that it 100 will yeah i don't think uh rising interest rates is going to be a bad thing for for the economy um a really good example that uh i i went to school for business and and minored in economics and one case study economic or economists always like to look at is what happened in japan and uh, i don't know if you're familiar with that so in the yeah. 70s in the in the in the 80s japan had a 25 percent inflation which is insane and around the world we had the the oil crisis which really hit them hard and hit hit the whole world hard and as you know oil is is basically pegged to the us dollar mm. so uh oil controls a lot with the economy and especially opec the countries that control most of the world's oil they can essentially tank or help rise any any companies or country's economy if they wanted to because oil is that beneficial to every country yeah. right now in yeah. the world yeah, yeah. um so what happened with japan was they had a massive inflation problem um and then they rose interest rates or they they did a, a series of interest rates cuts and quantitative easing and it helped the economy the economy was booming the stock market was booming and all of a sudden it was booming so much they had this huge speculative bubble from uh the economic bubble bursted in japan yeah the economy the stock market tanked uh property values were sky high kind of like here and it all just bursted so what they did again the interest rates were already low they already lowered them to pretty uh, historically low percentages, maybe a half a percentage point or a quarter basis point, which is like a quarter percent. And what happened was they decided to do negative interest rates and something that's unheard of with quantitative easing. And it's the first time this has been done. And they, they kept interest rates negative for a long time. And what ended up happening was one of the worst things that could happen to an economy. And especially in Japan's case, because they didn't have the growth that one good thing about the U.S. is the GDP is still growing every year, even with inflation high. Japan was a little bit different. And also we have the world reserve currency and the oil is pegged to a dollar. So there's a lot of advantages to the U.S. that Japan didn't, didn't necessarily have. So what happened was uh, interest rates being negative uh, actually hurt them and caused what's called stagflation, which is one of the worst things that could happen to economy. For about 20 something years, Japan had no growth at all. And they actually were in a deflationary environment. And uh, what ended up, everything was so cheap there that all these, I don't know if you wanna call them prime ministers or presidents, whatever, uh, I forget what the they call the presidents in Japan. I believe it's prime minister. I think it's prime ministers. Yeah. Uh, every prime minister that came in tried to do something to help this to to grow the gdp and help the country uh break out of this deflationary state and just as they were starting to recover a little bit 2008 financial crisis hit and then destroyed them again 
So Japan's a really good example of what happens if you fuck around with interest rates too much, where you, you bring them to zero and then you have them at zero for so long and the economy's、yeah. still not growing. And then you, you actually go negative interest rates. Yeah. So、uh, it's, it's one, one example of quantitative easing gone bad. And a lot of、uh, economists look at their example and their model of what happened and what not to do. <laughs> so I think. Countries learn from that, especially the United States. So they're trying to really go about this the proper way to avoid what, what I said was stagflation, where you have no period of growth for a long time. And I mean, like decades. They call it, they actually call it the lost decades in Japan、yeah. because、yeah. just money was so, everything was so cheap that even when they tried to raise prices to bring up interest, interest rates and stimulate the economy, and they tried passing stimulus. They tried doing a lot of what we did.、Uh, they tried、uh, infrastructure bills and all kinds of things to boost the economy. And at that point, prices have been so low for so long that nobody was buying anything. It was like, I'm not going to spend more money for anything. Prices have been so low for 20 years. Yeah. So that's something we want to avoid falling into. Yeah.、Um, well, you want to have. Luckily... Oh, sorry, guys. You go. No, it's just that you want to still have that lever. To be able to、yeah. pull if there's, a, if there's a problem. And I think if the lever's been down for too long, you need to. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's kind of、um, a negative to keeping interest rates so low for so long is、yeah. when you do start to, to raise it, you actually can't start raising interest rates because、yeah. then it becomes too expensive and no one's,、yeah. no one's going to want to participate in the economy. There's no growth.、Yeah. But luckily,、yeah. uh, we just saw the, the quarterly growth actually was up again. And I think the US is a totally different situation.、Um, but it's something you don't want to leave interest rates at zero for too long. You have to raise them at some point. Well, I think what's interesting about what you say, Tony, is if it stays long to, for too long, what happens is you start to get GameStop speculation. You start to get Bitcoin and cryptocurrency speculation. You start to get. Speculation in every area. And what we've got to contend with now is, is, as investors is we have to choose the lesser of all the evils because there's still a, a bubble in stocks. There's a bubble in every asset class because of too much loose money. So it's like, where do I put my money? Well, you don't want to put it into a savings account. No one wants to put it into bonds because that's murder. You just get just destroyed there in the next 30 years, I would say. Tips, treasury, inflation protected bonds. No one wants to put it in treasury bonds either. The risk rate. Well, you can use tips, which is it goes with inflation. So, like the interest is the same as inflation, but also when inflation drops, so does your interest on your your lo- your bond. Yeah, but you're just keeping your money exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're just trying to keep up with it essentially. Yeah, yeah. And if it was 7.5% consistently year on year, you'd probably consider that at least. But I know the bond rates would just would meet it eventually. But I think that、um, you've got to choose a lesser, lesser evil. And that's where value investing is important. Anytime you're buying a, an investment for far less than what it's worth, you're in a position to make a ton of money. So when people are saying, What should I buy? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? I'm like, Well, is it selling for less than what it's worth? And most of the time, they have no flipping clue. I think the other thing that's happening a lot, I don't know if, you have, if you're noticing this issue in Australia, it might be totally different here, but. We have a lot of these big firms、um, buying up houses like crazy here because everything is so cheap.、And、this is another downside to no interest rate, no、um, uh, 
you know, a zero interest rate. You basically just take out money for free and you're, you know, you have no interest at all on the loan. And these huge corporations are going in and buying out these uh, multifamily houses. They're buying all this new real estate and they own everything. <laughs> you know, like the average person, the middle class can't even afford a house. In America, you can do that because I'm pretty sure you can get 30 year fixed rate terms, right? Uh, yeah, depending on your finances and, you in, know, credit score and everything. In Australia, yeah. it's, it's four years max fixed rate on residential. So wow. what happens here in Australia and what's happening now is there's about half a billion dollars of mortgages um, every, I forget what it is, but they, they're coming up to renew and refinance in two years. So their fixed low rate of 2% is going to flip up to four in two years. So yeah. if a family is currently struggling on a interest rate, of we have that too. We have that yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. You have the teaser rate and then the new re reset rate. So yeah. what we're going to find, I think in the real estate market is it's all great that these companies are buying up, but they're going to have to contend with triple the current rate. Like that's not going to be, that's a real cash burn. So I think that the market economy is such a great, the free market economy finds its feet. So these people now that are buying up all these houses, when the rates go up, they might want to sell some. And it might, it will make hopefully real estate cheaper because no one really is going to want to borrow money then. So when debt That's is more, the hope, yeah, yeah, That's it will find the market will always, it will find its feet eventually. I think it'll even out, you know. So yeah, and that's why you raise interest rates to to fight inflation and to stop all yeah. this insane yeah. purchasing. You know, yeah. just, and I, but I think it's going to haircut people that that need a haircut. Yeah, and there's people out there like millennials, zennials growing so much hair. Like you need a flipping haircut, man. The only thing you've ever seen in your life is a bull market. Yeah, um, especially the last two years have been insane. I actually yeah, I did something I tell people never to do uh, in preparation for March. I actually sold all of my QQQ. Uh, I only had I only had four thousand in there, but I was up, and I, I started investing in that one late. And I was up like 12% and lost all of the gains to where I was up like 1% right now. And I was like, I could see this dropping another 5% easily through, through the rest of the year. So I did something I tell people to never do to try to time the market. And I sold <laughs> yeah. all of my QQQ with a profit. And I did it for two reasons. One, because I think it's going to be down probably maybe 10 to $15 less per share. And I could just put it all back in then. But two, I'm considering just putting all of that 4,000 into my S&P 500 index fund into that account instead. Uh, because one, you know, we talk a lot about QQQ and how great it is. And um, it, it's funny, if you look at the history of QQQ from 2000, and you might even be able to pull this up, Phil, if you're, if you're able to. If you, look at, if you look at QQQ on the returns, and you do the all-time returns. When the dot-com bubble hit in 2000, it took QQQ 16 years to recover from that. And the, the total market index and the S&P 500 recovered from it in like three or four years. Yeah. So second. I'm going to bring it up on screen. Hopefully, that's why you don't. Ever, that's why you should never invest in sector-specific ETFs because uh, it forces you to time the market. Is this the right one, Tony? you blow that up and you go to look at 2000 when it crashed at its high point, if you bought at the high point of like $114 or something, I'm pretty sure it didn't recover until 2015 back to that point. 
like somewhere around there. It took, yeah, it was around 2015, 2016 so, that it started so hitting 15, the hundreds again. It took 15 or 16 years yeah. for your money to recover. And even if yeah. you bought it at the low point, you really didn't make much gain at all. I mean, even if you bought it at like $30 a share, it kind of was stagnant for about four years there. So today's investor is not going to be able to wait that out. Uh, that's a huge amount of time for the average retail investor today. And if you look at VTI or, or, or SPY, it recovered pretty quickly. It still took years to recover, but it was like four times less than the NASDAQ. Um, so I think it's one of those things, if you're someone that's risk averse and you want to put your money in like the safest funds that that's like super reliable, um, like I do, I think I, I'm going to, thinking about putting that money into the S and P 500 instead of putting it back in QQQ. What are your thoughts? You, ne you don't, the reason why the ETF conversation index funds is such an interesting one is because, um, the, the simplest way is the best, which is buy the S and P 500. Don't complicate it because if you start investing in sector specific ETFs, which is what QQQ is, you know, you have exactly. to time the market. Because it's cyclical, it's it's sector specific. Every sector goes through a downturn, and that means that you've got to rebalance your portfolio, which means you've got to make decisions, which means you can make mistakes, which means you've got to then sell it, which means you're going to go pay tax on it, and then you don't get any gains on your untaxed gains. So there's a reason why Warren Buffett sits on TV and goes, "If I were you, I'd put my money in the S and P 500 in a second. And the fact that people can't follow that advice is just Flipping ignorant dickheads, basically stupid. All of us, we're all yeah. idiots, right? Yeah. Basically, we're all egotistical maniacs, and we can't just deal with it. If you can beat them, I've had conversations with everyone in the group about this because they get the shits with me all the time in the group. Like, well, if you're a millionaire, blah blah, blah. they want to talk about their position about why they're traders. But here's the thing: if you can't beat the market year on year, then you're rationally to become wealthier. You just put your money in the S&P 500. That's it. You just add to it. You go get a few side hustles, a few extra jobs, and you just keep going, and you'll be rich. <laughs> but they don't do that. They're trying to trade because they're addicted to this jackpot mindset mentality, which is like, I'm looking for a short-term fast win. But short-term games give sh short-term results, and no one's playing a long-term game. Warren Buffett's the ultimate long-term gamer. He made a billion, $9 billion in a day the other day because of what he did and the habits he developed when he was 19. Yeah, I'm really considering. I would put everything, if I lived in America, I would just put everything either in Berkshire Hathaway or the S&P 500. That's what I, that's what I was considering. Just putting it. The problem is I have, is that I have capital gains on every, I'm up a lot on everything. So it's one of these situations like, ah, do I want to pay tax on this? Like QQQ was my only, the reason why I did that QQQ was my only fund where I started late, like I was only in that for about a year. I started late in that one and it came back to almost what I paid. So I'm like, you know what? I could sell this, take a very small tax hit, still get out with a little profit and then take some time to think about what I want to do with this four grand if I want to add it to the S&P. I think I have like 7,000 in the S&P right now. So I could just put that in there and get like 11, 12,000. But at the same time, I'm up so much on the S&P. And I'm like, if I put that all in now, it's going to raise my average so much. Like, I think I'm in S&P for like 340 a share right now.
and it's at 410. So, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't. Yeah, but it just doesn't matter. Like, average it. Yeah, if you're going to keep adding to it, look, here's the thing what I really think. I'm not going to hold back on this. This is what I think. If you just decided to put your money in the S&P 500, okay, that was it. You just did that. You'd own the best companies in the world in your own currency. There wouldn't be any currency risk. You would never have to pay taxes again on any sales ever. So there's no CGT and tax risk and sales risk. And there's no decision making ever. There's no decision risk and there's Just no dividends, mutation yeah. risk. And there's nothing, right? And if you did that, then once that's done, your whole focus actually moves away from stocks and your investments. And you, you move away from treating it like a business. And you then look at you, you take your brain and your firepower and your energy and your youth. And you go and look for ways to make extra money to dump in the S&P 500. But whilst ever you're mucking around with stocks, you're losing the opportunity to go make a ton of money out there to actually put in your stocks. And I think this is what people don't recognize. Your stocks will only perform or, or grow to become millions of dollars if you go find more flipper money to put in it. Right. It takes away this whole, this whole focus on something you can't move fast. That's like getting a woman pregnant and then staring at her hoping she gets has a baby sooner right but some things just take time yeah it doesn't work i tried that doesn't work there you go right you know it took you at least nine months right tony nine yeah, months to get your baby and it was a long it was a long night i can only yeah, imagine <laughs> so that's what i actually think tony like i would looking at people in their stocks i'd say look put it all in the sp 500 you really if you don't know how to value a stock based on cash flows or really understand the economy i you have no business, I think, investing. You're just going to lose money. So if you put in the S P 500, my question would be, how are you then going to go and start making more money to put in there? So take a second job, start a side gig, you know, skill up, sell yourself, get a pay rise, whatever you need to do. But that's really where your attention should go. That's how I got wealthy. People think it's all about, oh, I put in stuff. I, I did, but but the fact is, I could, I could, if you can make more money elsewhere, it's income. Become, yeah, it's yeah. It's not a secret. And the thing is, I, I, I've known that for years about the S&P 500, but I've been playing games and buying other things. I'm like, what am I doing? I should just, yeah. uh, especially after thinking about it today and like where I see QQQ and the NASDAQ heading for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I, I think the S&P is going to be down for the year too. But, I, but like we talked about, I feel good about the S&P recovering. Whereas I'm like, ah, I don't know, the NASDAQ 100, it's all tech and financial, which is going to be hit hard by interest rates. Um, yeah. Well, the S and P five hundred is you've got is going stock. to be too. Yeah. You got Exxon Mobil. You got Chevron. You got you've got um you got yeah you've got yeah. financial stock like banks are going. I think to do it's well. all. I think it's all twelve sectors of the market. Yeah, you've got to do. Yeah, that's what's great about it. It is heavy in tech. It is heavy in tech, but well, at the I present mean, moment, it is. But it wasn't in two thousand and two. ExxonMobil was the biggest company in the world. So it was energy heavy back then. And now it's tech heavy because Apple's the biggest company in the world. Yeah. So, so it'll rebalance, it'll rebalance for you no matter what happens to innovation and technology. The hardest thing about picking stocks yeah. is yeah. how the hell would have anyone ever guessed that um, Exxon, like that Apple could buy and 10x on mobiles in next 20 years no one could have picked that no one so you have to understand that technology and innovation it's very hard to read the future and Who that's what i guess that exxon's not even in the s p is it 
Didn't they remove Axon? Yeah. No, Axon would be in there, surely. Oh, is it? Must be. I thought they got replaced. Maybe I'm thinking of a different oil company. Hold on. Hold on. It's the biggest oil company in the world. Maybe, but I can't. Well, I thought it did because it lost profitability and you have to maintain. It probably, it probably dropped out of the Dow. Maybe probably, that's what I was thinking. I think Maybe it probably that's dropped what I was out thinking. of the Dow. Yeah, I can't Phil, see can it. you look that up? I, I might have just, I might be totally bullshit. But I, I, I thought think it I, dropped out of the Dow, I think. No, I it's on have. the NASDAQ. I would, no, the S&P 500. No, the S&P 500. Oh, S&P? Oh, no way in, I couldn't see that happening. It has to be the top 500 biggest in, the, in America. Surely. It's definitely not in the top 10. No, but the Dow's top 30, so it could have fallen out of the Dow. But... It got removed August 31st, being oh, replaced see? by Salesforce.com. In the S&P 500 or the Dow? Yeah, yeah. It was replaced on the Dow, and then yeah. someone's saying Exxon has been crushing it since Putin been, has been having fun yeah. on Ukraine's back door. I think door. it got replaced on the Dow. Yeah. Okay. I, I doubt 500. Is that yeah. the Dow and, and the S&P or just the Dow, Phil? uh s p i'll check the dow now oh so it was replaced from the s p i could have sworn i heard it was knocked out of the s p it's still there since 1928 it's still on the uh, dow drones what yeah but it's not in the s p anymore no I think uh wait it, i found it, replaced by hold on no it's not it's no longer there uh, in the dow it's not in the dow anymore ExxonMobil replaced by a software stock after 92 years in the Dow. Yeah, yeah so that... And when I put S&P 500... It's not in the S&P either. It was replaced. No, here. Someone's saying it is, but when I search it up, I'll bring it up on the screen so everybody can see. But is Exxon still on the S&P 500? S&P Global made the decision to remove Exxon from the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Oh. Salesforce. That's crazy. Yeah, Dow Jones are different. Industrial Average. Well, that's because that's a weighted, that's a stupid index, in my opinion. The Dow Jones is stupid. I doubt it's out of the S&P. I'll be shocked if that happened. I'm staying correct if it happened, but I can't. I just have that happen. I'll never know, but. So I just misread. So you guys were right. I was out of the top ten, man. I can't see Exxon fucking being worth. Right, well, they worth. definitely, yeah, they definitely removed it from the top ten. But uh, it's in the S and P. Anyway, bottom line is the making in- a comeback now. So the innovation, yeah, that's why it's cyclical, right? So Warren Buffett bought a ton of Chevron stock, and uh, he's so done they, well. You have there's rules to being in the S and P five hundred where you have to maintain a certain amount of profitability if you fall out of profit for i think it's for like four straight quarters you can be removed yeah uh, something like that there's some That's rules what, i don't know vanguard vanguard manages that for you for a low cost which is the beauty of having a the, the yeah. vanguard s&p fire index fund so you have to worry three dollars per ten thousand yeah but i think it's yeah. important to understand that these simple ideas in money making are the most overlooked because they're too simple that people think that it has to be complicated because they think finance and money is complicated, but it's actually not. And that's why Warren Buffett sits on TV and goes, if I were you, I'd buy the S&P 500 and you'll just do really well. But we're so stupid because we're so complex as humans. Well, we it's, just boring. it's boring. It's yeah. boring. That's yeah. why. Yeah. And it's wealth creation. Boring to watch. It's too slow. It's not fun. Wealth creation is boring. That's what people don't yeah. understand. You uh, know what I mean? That's why people don't. And that's why I think, 
if crypto stays stagnant for another year or two, people are going to get bored of that. Yeah. Yeah. Crypto could do exactly what QQQ did. It it just do not hit its all time high again for 15 years. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's definitely possible. Yeah. I think with interest going up. You know what's something I, I find funny is like we had the dot com bubble burst, right, in the early 2000s. And now we're seeing the revitalization of kind of like the dot com businesses. Like you have Google, Facebook, these are web based businesses. Yeah, I don't think the internet was ready uh, for what it became at that time. But also, no. there was a lot of bullshit. There was a lot of websites that were stupid, like pet. Oh, it's, it's the same Break as crypto. It's all based on bullshit. People are just, people are creating things based on hype. And I think we're going to have the crypto bubble burst soon. And then 15 years from now, we're going to be living with crypto as a a form or it's going to come back. I I am officially all out of crypto. I have no more crypto. I sold everything. That's intelligent. I bought bought Facebook with all my crypto. There you go. Even smarter. So how about about this? Blockchain is the technology of the... So the internet is a technology. Mm -hmm. Blockchain is the technology instant contracts right and and transparent contracts and instant you know, smart contracts and all that fun yeah. jazz. so so that's the infrastructure and what's happening in the world of speculation what happened in the internet bubble is that people were buying into the technology as the vision and they were and these companies they were creating were based on that technology like urls were based, they were just basically buying urls which is yeah. like a currency right Sim, it's almost identical and so they said oh but the blockchain's the future i'm like yes like railroad was the future in the late 1800s, right? It's a good point. Same shit. You didn't buy the railroad. The railroad didn't go up in value. The actual businesses, the, the actual rail companies were. But at the end of that, there was only two left, Pacific and BNSF. That's it. Two. So if you look forward 10 or 20 years, the blockchain is the wonder of the technology. It's amazing. That's going to change the way things are done in the world, financially mm-hmm. and contractually and so on. But you don't bet on the technology, you bet on the businesses. So, like for example, if we look at the internet bubble, Google, Apple, Microsoft, you know, a couple others, Netflix, a few others, they're the ones that you could have picked. But back then, how the hell would you have picked it? Even Amazon. Man, even if you had picked Amazon back then, it went from $90 to $6. No one would have held that. Everyone in this group would have sold it, probably including me, because I'm a pussy. Oh, you see your stock fall not from that to that. There's no flipping way you you were holding it. So I think it's hard to pick what you invest your money in with blockchain. But my bet is that a business that uses the blockchain technology is what's going to win, not the actual physical technology itself, which is what people are doing with coins. Yeah, it's probably going to be like Google or micro Amazon yeah, or Facebook. Be. Yeah, could be. You just don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough Let's to see. say. Yeah, I can uh, see healthcare using it because healthcare would be able to use it. That, that's like saying I can see this using internet. Like all in, all industries now use internet, and I think all companies will use the blockchain. But I think there will be some that it really helps, and there will be some that will wipe away. Like it might kill Mastercard. It might kill. Um, don't yeah, tell Dalt that. <laughs> Dalt is <laughs> Dalt loves Mastercard. Well, unless Mastercard partners up with with it well, somehow, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Sure. Pay it. A lot of stuff, right? it, uh, it's a technology that does it you know what's funny is there's gonna have to be like a, an, a mainstream example of it that we all know like what's happening in el salvador with bitcoin how they adopted bitcoin as a legal tender and yeah. 
put you know 20 million dollars of the of the country's treasury bonds or uh you know uh yeah. saving i don't know i guess their treasury right part of their money that they're saving for debt and yeah. infrastructure projects and whatnot they put it into bitcoin and then it it was cut in half you know yeah. in three months that's because so that, the owner, yeah so you go no, no, no go ahead go ahead. i'm just saying that's because the president of the country is an idiot yeah yeah he is it's as simple as that he's just an idiot so he he playing around like that he doesn't know what he's doing but they're kind of going for a hail mary i guess and i guess if you look you put yourself in his shoes you're thinking well the country's poor as shit now how am i gonna get out of this like let's speculate let's go for a hail mary not ideal but like what else are you gonna do but um, it's just funny how like I, arguing with people about how oh it's gonna decentralize and definance or democratize i'm so tired of those buzzwords with crypto it's gonna democratize and well it's not decentralized it's, it's not, not gonna do it's not gonna do a goddamn thing it's not gonna do any of that because it's no. it's first of all it's not decentralized like people think it is it's really no, not it's not because big companies own the most of it and the Winklevoss it's thing highly so manipulated what? it's more manipulated than the stock market yeah so it's not decentralized the other thing too is that the the biggest portion of population on the planet is in China and China have banned it. And I can see the digital yuan, the digital RMB, more likely becoming a reserve world currency than Bitcoin and the USD. On it, like USD will take a long time to knock off. It's not something you just flip or switch overnight and it's gone, right? The what? Digital what? what the digital saying? RMB, the digital Chinese currency. They've, they've oh. launched a digital currency in China, right? And whatever China does, it's likely that, that they, they own the network's effects of the currency system in the world because they have the most people using it. So I can see more, more likely we're going to use the digital RMB as a reserve currency than we would anything else. But I also think that the Fed, like the USD is, all, is already a digital currency. It has fucking, been. It's already yeah. did. So what the hell are people talk like? You know, like, yeah, they might include the blockchain technology and make it instant and transparent, which would be amazing for politicians because they fucking how they spend money is a joke. That, that could help. <coughs> so that that's how affected how they could use the blockchain to run currency and be transparent. That would be amazing. But how do you do that without getting a run on the banks? They're gonna do they're gonna do some type of digital dollar that is is backed by some physical dollars or something. Something yeah. at some point. But they're not gonna they they, listen the government's not gonna let private money rule the country no never gonna well, anyway also, so why would why would we want bitcoin to succeed in the u.s when we're we the u.s dollar is literally the gold standard of the world like oil is pegged to the dollar it's the, yeah. reserve the reason why, the reason why i can't see it succeeding is because i don't think it solves a big problem yeah i don't i really don't think we have serious currency problems. Yes, there's a bit of inflation. I don't think it's out of control. They'll raise rates. They'll settle it down. I just don't think people go, oh, my God, I can't believe that I just paid for my coffee from my debit card and it took an extra one second. What am I going to do? I just don't think they give a shit. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. The thing is, that's the thing about faster trans faster transactions. It's like, how fast do I need my transaction to be? I'm in and out of the... When I'm paying yeah. for something, it takes what five, ten seconds. Like I need it faster. Yeah, I need it to be instant. Be... Like I need to before I even pull out my wallet to pay, I want it already paid. That's how fast I, I want it. That's how impatient we've become as a society. We can't even wait seconds for a transaction. Like it's I, just 
what's interesting um, about Charlie Munger's talk this morning, if you haven't watched it, go to YouTube, Yahoo Finance, and watch it. It's really interesting. Um, so he's 98, and he's sitting there just finishing questions from the crowd. It's just epic. He's just a legend. And um, he said that he thinks, he feels that the U.S. stock market is too liquid. And he said back when he was younger in Harvard, there would be about a million stocks or a million trades a day in volume. And now he said it's in the billions. And he said, we just don't need a stock market that liquid because it's actually creating a gambling culture. And he said, that's a real problem. Um, and he said that, that if we can somehow make it less liquid, it'll be better. And how he suggested they do that is if you started taxing short-term gains at 50%, it would probably stop people trading. Yeah, I don't know if I like that, though. I feel like that. Why not? Interesting. Why not? Uh, I like having money that's liquid. I like being able to make decisions quickly if I need to. And I think that also that that strategy is actually going to help people, uh, big time mutual fund managers more than it is the and, and, and institutions. It's going to benefit them more than it's going to benefit the average retail investor like Kathy Woods, someone like her, where if we can't sell out of ARC, she's going to have more power. You know what I mean? And no, now she's creating a close end fund you because can, she, you can, yeah, you can still sell. Yeah, I know, but, but <laughs> funds aren't liquid as liquid as ETFs. I mean, it takes a couple days to sell out of mutual funds. Yeah. But I think it's more about incentivizing long-term trading, uh, long-term investing over short-term day trading. That's all. I think, I think there's ways I to feel do it like that time. would help institutions more than I feel it would. If they did like a year, if you're invested for a year, you won't get hit with that 50% capital gains. If you're under a year, then you get hit with that 50. I think that would be a reasonable thing. Even if it was like a week <laughs> or a week. Okay. We'll go with a week. I was thinking more long-term, but Lloyd for Lloyd, uh, long-term is a week. So, okay. Good to know. No, no, but I mean, for most, a lot of people a week, like, or even a month, like, I think it's a year thing it, that does encourage long-term investing, which is yeah. great. You know what I think actually should be stopped? Not that, but being the ability to short stocks and short companies and bet that things are going to fail or yeah. bet that things are... To, I think calls and puts and options are actually much more detrimental to the yeah. stock market oh, and make it more... Yeah, yeah. Derivatives are bad too, yeah. That that gamifies it way more than just yeah. day trading or swing yep. trading. Yeah, you know? definitely. Like, Is why it... why should an institution be able to short a company? You know, yeah. and and yeah. and well, actually, of... in Australia, you can't do it too. They try to tank it, yeah, and per they purposely try to tank companies, and they 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 know what they're shorting. They have all the inside information. They they do things to make sure that that actually happens, and then they make billions of dollars off of it. You know, like that, that being legal is ridiculous to me. Yeah. Um, Don't you think that would help more than, than definitely getting rid else? of derivatives? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, options are a funny thing because you can actually just um, sell put options. Um, Mark's not a fan of you guys talking about love, this because he loves option trading during times when the market stinks. Yeah, that's look. Okay, great. But I would again encourage them to go back and look at their annual returns for the last five years and assess them against the S and P five hundred on a cost on a cost post tax basis. And if you're beating the market, keep doing your strategy. But I know long term that can't scale. There's a reason why the multi billionaires in the stock market don't do that because eventually you just can't scale it. So it might help you if you're trading hundred bucks here and there. But again, your taxes are going to wipe you out. Look yeah. at your after tax gains. 
there's some guy that uh someone in the chat i can't see the person he said roy can you write can you advise your largest position yeah so this oh, yeah. is from uh i believe it is it's mark again mark is asking uh lloyd uh any chance you can advise what's the largest position in your portfolio you're going for is is it still baba um no, the largest position I have is actually in the leading Australian bank. And that's like almost a $600,000 position in that particular one stock because it's positioned much like Bank of America, where it's got all of these um, deposit bases in place. So when interest rates go up, it's going to make a flipping ton of money. And it's very hard to replicate the bank because it's highly regulated. So it's got a wide moat. And so I think it's poised to do really well and it's quite a conservative position. So it's one of those ones you can swing bigger. Then Alibaba is my second biggest and I'm probably going to add some more to it this week and then post earnings because earnings come out on the 24th of Feb. I think it's going to like plateau, flatline, whatever. If it beats, it'll rise up quite quick. If it doesn't, it might fall to 111 again. But that will eventually become my biggest. It should. I think that will sail eventually to a million dollar position by itself from where it stands now. And I'll just sit there and then it hopefully just compounds at about between 15% and 20% a year continuously. Because if you can get a long-term compounder that pulls in 20% a year, which is like what Costco's done and, and some others, right? Then you double your money every three years. And so the idea of investing is to try and figure out or copycat someone, the types of businesses, you only need a few, that can compound at a higher rate than the S&P 500. So if it can compound at 15% and it's solid like Costco and those companies, you buy that and you keep that and you just let it run and you outperform the market. It's not complicated, it's just boring and you have to hold little positions and have enough courage to swing when you see it. That's why I've only got three stocks. The other one's in now, trouble. Now, do you have uh, a separate like retirement account or is that your only account? Uh, I don't have a retirement account. So you don't have any index, you don't have any index funds. Not at the moment. I used to, yeah. but then I worked out, I can probably beat the market. So that's what I'm positioned to do. I think it will for the next few years, may my position sit. Uh, I will definitely, I think I can easily beat the market from here, but when it gets too big and also you don't want to spend time doing it, I can see myself when the portfolio hits like three or 4 million is just to grab it and just go, SP power and, and, the, and, the, and the index here and just live off the income and be done with it and just go travel the world. There we go. Um, yeah. I the do... thing is when you have, when you have three or 4 million in a S and P 500, what's, what, what is the uh, yield on the, that? Like two, the yield here, in, the yield here in Australia though is four and a half percent on the index fund because the companies here pay higher dividend yields because of the tax um, set up here is not as aggressive in the States. So, that would give me if it was four mil, it'd be like 160, 180,000 in income per year. And be, because of the way the tax works, 80% tax free. Yeah, even at 2%, even if you're in the US, and you have 3 million in the S&P 500, you're going to be you're going to be getting about $60,000 in dividends. And most people yeah. can live off of that. So. Yeah. So I mean, the bank I own is a four and a half percent dividend already. So I already I already get paid 20, 30,000 a year income from them tax free. And I use that to, to service rent and stuff like that. And the whole idea of financial independence is not to be a multi, multi, multi. It's to have enough that gives you passive income to do what you want. That's if everyone, yeah, if everyone just went and figured out how to get three jobs and put all in the SP 500, they'd all hit it. 
they'd all get there but that's too that's like how to get rich for sure but no one wants to get rich for sure they want to get rich for who fucking knows that's how people want to get rich i've seen it it's like they want to just swing it hell mary the shit out of it and do jackpots and treat it like a casino and then they never get rich so that's why i have three freaking jobs well yeah. i have two jobs one job gives me tip so that's always nice to have that extra money coming in on as tips as the, as a bar worker yeah what you, uh, can, though. you can yeah. make more money working at mcdonald's than someone who's in a high-paying six-figure corporate job if you know what you're doing with money yeah uh, I do have a last question for you. This is uh, from, uh, I believe it's Brus Leroy. He's asking, professional athletes recently have had crypto structured into their contracts. LeBron James or OBJ. Crypto.com is where the LeBron and the Lakers play. Coinbase commercial during the Super Bowl. Question. Warren mm-hmm. Buffett, insider trading with Activision Blizzard deal, talking with Gates before the sale. Uh I don't think so. I don't think Warren Buffett needs to do insider trading. He doesn't care. Well, doesn't... That, that was like a weird. Is that because you? Yeah, I, I have no idea how he or... structured that question. I think crypto but... thing. LeBron James and Odell Beckham can do that because they're already multi multi millionaires, yeah. and it really doesn't matter if. And and by the way, the money that's going into crypto for their salaries, they're probably getting some type of endorsement deal to do all these commercials with crypto. Yeah, so yeah, they probably yeah currency. exactly. So that doesn't but mean to that point. To, to that point, correct. It says here recently have had their crypto structured in their contracts, right? So that's like you said, it's obviously an endorsement process. There's this story going on. I don't know how accurate it is. Probably is accurate. This NFL player, <laughs> his name is. He's like, oh, I take my money in Bitcoin, seven hundred fifty thousand first year. Yeah, Odell Beckham. Yeah, yeah. And he so, lost half of it, and then he's got to pay taxes. <laughs> get paid thirty grand to pull back. And he plays in L.A., which is the highest tax state in the country besides Hawaii. So Crazy. he's going to lose forty percent right off the bat to taxes. Crazy. Crazy. But, but listen, man, I have to go. Like, I have to. I have to go. I've got a uh, group mentoring call in five minutes. I have to bail too. So all right, I'm going well, uh, we'll, we'll we'll to have to leave you. Here, Lloyd, where can we find you? Um, at Lloyd James Ross on Instagram. Tony, where can we find you? Stock Bros Podcast in the group. Let's and go. You can, and you can find me at Podcaster Feel Better. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Stock Dirty to me. Love to see you guys and have a great day. Bye. Bye.